Welcome to the Marshall Pruitt Podcast and your week in IndyCar listener Q&A show recording here at about 5 o'clock on a Wednesday, hopping on a plane, what, 14 hours from now for good old Barber Motorsports Park. So I'm going to jump right in here with our new shorter format of the show, about an hour long. I want to say huge thanks to all of you for everything you sent in. Massive appreciation as well for Cooper Tires, Power the Road to Indy the Justice Brothers makers of fine automotive and motor racing related chemicals and lubricants. And then finally, torontomotorsports.com purveyors of exemplary motor racing memorabilia, barely feeling ready to get on a plane, but we're going to do it. Uh, I really, really feel for my poor wife who has been just wow in the wars dealing with I don't even want to tell you how nasty this flu and bacterial infections and all kinds of stuff since I got home from Long Beach. So, yeah, weird. Long Beach was a while ago, a couple weeks ago. It feels like yesterday because she and I have been knocked out, but uh, my wife more so than I. But uh, looking forward to Barber, looking forward to Alabama. That is the state where my bride was raised and so, yeah, there's just a little bit of extra love in my heart when I am uh, walking on the grounds that made her. So I'm going to dive right in here. Don't even, we're not even going to go for music bed intro, just straight in. Uh, Mitsuki Matsura, going back a little bit to last week about the Indie Open test. Curious, he says, I hope you and your wife are getting better. Thank you. He says, if you were to write a cool down lap column of the IMS Open test, what should uh, the main couple of takeaways be? Hmm, that's a great one. Uh, Matsura-san would say the no conclusive evidence on Chevy or Honda yet. Uh, well, we're going to find out on Friday, fast Friday for sure. Uh, but no real conclusive who's up, who's down. That was really interesting. Uh, loved seeing some of the big toes, right? It appears that Folks who maybe don't have a ton of experience doing this, some who might even be rookies at doing this on the super speedway, seem to be very comfortable running in big packs. That'd be another takeaway. That can take a little while. And I'm not saying that the Callum Eilots and Jimmy Johnsons and everyone else is that they're just perfect uh, Mitsuki and don't feel like they need any more running uh, in traffic with that unstable air buffeting the cars a little bit and, you know, the sensations being a little weird. Of course, they're going to want more mileage, but I was really impressed by how the rookies uh, really did seem to be comfortable and putting up significant lap times, lap speeds. That stood out. Third and last one would be Dron Reinbold Racing. Awesome to see what is the, at least right now, the only confirmed indie-only team in the field. Uh, stepping up and going, hey, we're real and we're capable with Sage Carum, Cage Serum, Sage Carum, uh, and also Santino Ferrucci. So that made me really happy as well. There's a just an important thing to me, hashtag me personally, about the underdogs, the, the one-offs, the indie-only entrants, not just being back of the pack, haven't run all year. You guys aren't warmed up. You might not have the best equipment and it's sure going to look like it. I just always want to see the Dennis Reinbolds of the world be able to show up and be competitive, even if they only do this two weeks out of the year. So that stood out as well. Obviously hoping that that continues here once we get into the month of May proper. So those are the bit, three big things, Mitsuki. Uh, the, track sealant and all that stuff assuming temperatures are uh, a little more normal uh, with all the changes that they've made and all the the dragging and scraping and grinding and whatnot i just don't foresee that being an issue so obviously it was big during the test but i'm just trying to think of the things coming out of the test that are big takeaways and i don't think there's going to be anything there Maybe the funnest thing that I learned is Jay Fry told me uh, what we didn't see uh, overnight, late night, midnight, Wednesday into Thursday when they were towing uh, tires 
around to try and you know bust up some of that sealant or take some of the shine off of it apparently they had a couple i don't know one or two but whatever number of like bigfoot tires like monster truck tires he said that's what they were towing around not like the little you know used car tires but actual like bigfoot stuff so assuming that's all accurate and true Oh, I love that. I, I wish I could have seen pictures of that happening. Cause just as a kid who grew up marveling at Bigfoot and monster trucks, when they became a thing and were a new thing, like just the idea of monster trucks, <laughs> anything related to a monster truck going around Indianapolis, sign me up. Oh, that's brilliant. Uh, AJ Abate. How you doing? AJ says, Marshall, so you're the speeds of the IMS test. We're a couple miles per hour faster than last year. Wasn't that fun too? So Joseph led the test in 21 with a 226.8 mile an hour run this year up to 229.5. Not sure if it's due to the sealant because there's no data uh, to compare last time sealant was added. Says, do you think we'll see quicker times in practice and qualifying? Just an effect of teams basically having the same car and aero bits as last year, uh, but they just have better baseline, et cetera, et cetera. And maybe they weren't going 100% uh, last year. Um, and then you say some really kind things about my wife and mention it's nice having me back at the track reporting. Thank you. You also say that you uh, are enjoying the hashtag show me videos. Uh, I should have thought to mention this earlier, but you know, I don't, so I didn't, um, two things. If you get a chance, if you didn't know, I would greatly appreciate it. I try not to ask too much of y'all. Uh, but if you get a chance, if you care, I would greatly appreciate it. If you paid a visit to YouTube, uh, and, searched for Marshall Pruitt. Uh, if you just went to YouTube forward slash Marshall Pruitt, you will find my, what I just realized is my nine year old YouTube page that I put like, I don't know, two or three videos on back then. Totally forgot about, did absolutely nothing with a few years ago, you know, put a couple more and I truly like the most forgotten thing I have. And I have made an effort to include more videos over the last month or two, including all of the hashtag MP show me's that I'm doing at the track. And so this is a tiny number and a meaningless number compared to everyone else with real popular channels. But over the weekend crossed, I think 5,000 subscribers. So again, for a little channel that I even forgot existed for a long time, would appreciate if you care uh, to subscribe there because it is where I'm putting all of the hashtag MP show me's after each race weekend. Plus I am digging through my archives of videos and trying to put some of them up there as well. And also doing a fair amount of in-car videos and that kind of stuff too. So there you go. Uh, also, if you want to join a group of friends who listen to the show, talk about racing, talk about life recipes, you name it. Send an email to Prude Rocks, P-R-U-E-D-A-Y-R-O-C-K-S, Prude Rocks at gmail.com. And one of the awesome men and women or men or women uh, will reach out to you and welcome you into that group, the uh, Prude. And it's just a lot of fun uh, from what I'm told. Their chats, the daily chats and back and forth. Um, it's a growing community and if you're looking to be part of one that loves racing and is a little bit funny and irreverent and also does some charitable things from time to time, prudayrocks at gmail.com is the place to join in. Uh, let's go to our pal, speaking of Pruday, one of the true upstanding members, Cassie, Cassie Johnston, at mama underscore G-Force on the good old Twitters. Uh, she says the barber forecast looks like we might have the first rain race of the aero screen era. So I read your 2019 article about the aero screen rain test, and it seems the testing was pretty small scale. How much do we know uh, about how the screen performs in the wet? So there's a huge thing here, which I find to be remarkable. And it's that, wow, it seems like every other racing series this year, has dealt with rain at least once. IndyCar really hasn't, and for a good long while. I mean, that's the <laughs> that's the big takeaway is, yeah, hey, we bolted the aero screen on in 2020, and here we are now 
two and a quarter, two and a sixth seasons in, and we really haven't had any proper, proper rain to find out. So I do know that at that test, and I believe it was at Barber, where it did start raining, that the response was, yeah, uh, it seems to not really be a problem. To the greater point that you raised, though, Cassie, it's not like we had 10 drivers stacked up running in a row. And sure, driver number one might be super happy, but what about number two or number seven or number 10? Can they even see? So to your point, we still have to see that. Of the things I plan on doing when I get to good old Barber, Friday morning, one of them is to go and inquire if and what kind of treatments and whatnot teams might be looking to apply to their aero screens uh, in the event of rain. We know that they have tear-offs. Depending on the tear-off vendor, and I'm talking helmets, some can come treated with this or that hydrophobic uh, whatever. Do the tear-offs the super special tear-offs for the aero screen is there an option there do they all come with some form of water repelling something on the surface i don't know and so i need to go and find out because you're curious i'm curious answers are needed uh i'll give us another little aside here um i'm trying to get this available to the public if desired but i'm staring at the amazing work just received from Roger Warwick, who does pretty much all of the art for the show and everything else. And uh, I asked him to come up with a design paying homage to the worst, craziest IndyCar, Indy 500 machine ever made, the 1982 Eagle Aircraft Flyer driven by Davy Hamilton's father, Ken. I believe that was episode like 15 of the podcast. This is like almost what we're 1260 or something plus now. So this was a true OG episode. But uh, if, if you're familiar with this 1982 Eagle aircraft flyer, Indy 500 entry, uh, I asked Roger to come up with uh, one major design and then a edited version of that design. So, I still need to reach out to my pal Derek at Toronto Motorsports. If you're listening, Derek, uh, I may have called you already. But I'm going to want to get some T-shirts done here. Do a limited run for sale because it's you know it's a super niche thing, but it's such a crazy car that for those who know about it, they have a huge passion for it. And so uh, that tends to be the kind of stuff that I do more than anything else with the help of Roger Warwick. So hopefully our pal Derek and TorontoMotorsports.com will have some of these available for you shortly. And then I'll get some stickers made too, because Roger, yet again, no surprise, has just knocked it out of the park. So circling back to close here, Cassie, I'm hoping that on Friday, early-ish on Friday, there'll be a little hashtag MP show me that provides not an answer of how it performs in the rain, because we don't know exactly when it might rain. And we know for sure on Friday, the one and only session is late in the day but I at least want to try and show you a little bit of an up-close thing of what options teams make use of, if at all, to uh, try and repel water in the event of rain on that good old aero screen. Andrew Miller says there's a story that came out last week with quotes from RP and others that there were zero issues moving forward with the new engine and hybrid systems in the same old DW12 engine bay. Um he says, is this a shut up and a race deal to the drivers who told us last year the DW12 in its present form is already at its physical limits? Um, let's see. Anyone on the driver's side willing to talk about this? Not sure if the lack of follow-up articles from the driver's perspective is a, quote, it's not going to be a problem uh, thing, or no one wants to be the guy or gal who speaks up to RP kind of thing. Um think might be putting a little too much uh hot sauce on this one andrew i if others posted stories about this awesome i didn't see him or read them that's not a negative or critical thing that's just i didn't see him i know that i posted a story with roger 
where he said there were no plans to replace the DW12 anytime soon. And that came from an interview I did with him on Friday at Long Beach. Sat down with him for almost half an hour on a bunch of topics. So I don't believe there was any shut up and race message being given to anyone in that response. I say that because I was sitting across from him, uh, three feet away, no one else in the room. He and I looking face to face and getting clear understandings of what was being said. So it could be interpreted as that, but at least for how it was delivered and in the context it was delivered, there was nothing about it that was aimed at drivers. It was probably 100% aimed at me because <laughs> I think I've probably been the most vocal person in print, obviously in the podcast uh, and wherever else saying, good Lord, this thing is a dinosaur. How do you marry this brand new high tech, all kinds of amazing thing with an old clunker? And again, the DW12 has been amazing. It's been in service forever. It's done everything IndyCar's asked. I, again, I'm playing a little bit here, but it is absolutely aged. Written about it, great quotes from team managers, managing directors, drivers, you name it. I wanted to present as strong an argument for making a change in that major, the, by major, I mean long form, in that major feature that I did, uh, there were also some who said no. So a little bit of both sides of it, but overwhelmingly, Andrew, drivers and some team owners, managers, managing directors were absolutely in agreement. Uh, others were not. Clearly, Roger, knowing about all the finances better than most, has decided that this is not a expenditure he wants to put on the books anytime soon. As for a lack of follow-up articles, again, um, I we've already, I guess myself and whomever else, have written stories saying they're going forward with the 2024 engine package while using the old DW12. <coughs> I know that I at least wrote a major feature that had clear-cut and impassioned comments from every driver who has tested the DW12 with the simulated weight of this 2024 hybrid engine package. They made it very clear that they wanted something new and did not feel that using the DW12 would be tenable. Doing reaction stories to Roger saying no to the thing they want, I don't honestly know what I would get from those inquiries, Andrew, because it's kind of a, hey, you said you want it. The guy who controls whether you can get it has said no. We would have to assume their response would be, well, that doesn't make me happy because I told you clearly that I want it. Um, so, yeah, uh, again, I don't think there's anything there and people being afraid to speak up or otherwise it never occurred me to get reaction or do follow-up articles with those drivers based on what Roger said, because they've already spoken clearly about what they want in the beliefs behind it, which are all completely valid when presented with those things, instead of being swayed in their direction, uh, Roger obviously has a different opinion. So, uh, yeah, it's a no real, real spiciness here, Andrew. Uh, Caleb Whistler says the quest for 33 for the Indy 500 feels awkward. It smells of desperation. What can IndyCar do to make sure they aren't in the same position they are in now when we get to 2023? Great question, Caleb. Would say IndyCar has been very helpful in getting 233. I know I didn't just tell you anything other than that, and that's for a reason. Um, looking to the future, I think we're going to see a couple of developments that are going to help. And that is 
more of the small teams or one-off or those who are in that general vein where they need to co-enter with somebody. I got money and I got a driver, but I don't got anything else. Can I give you that money to run my driver and for me to be your co-entrant? I got a car, but I don't have a crew. I have a this, but I don't have a that. I think primarily for those who have been in a situation this year where they have had the money or even had the crew and the money, but haven't had the key assets, the physical property needed to compete with that being an indie car refueling equipment, timing stand, radios, all these key and core infrastructure items. I think that's the one area, Caleb, we're going to see some positive uh, lessons taken and acted upon coming out of this year's race. I don't know Beth Peretta's plan in terms of buying her own chassis, but I've got to believe she is very interested and motivated to raise the funding to do that so that even if she continues partnering with Ed Carpenter for many years to come and everything's awesome, she would have something that is her own that can be used within that relationship. And if, and when that relationship were to end and she were to go and form her own team from top to bottom, she would have the core asset needed to compete um, I know this, it's a, not a perfect analogy, but if you want to play basketball, but don't have a basketball, <laughs> you should get a basketball because it's hard to say you are a basketball player or have a basketball team. If you don't have the actual basketball itself to play the game and yeah, uh, $10 basketball or whatever they cost these days, um, at a local sports, uh, store, a little different than going to the Delara factory and plopping down hundreds of thousands of dollars for a DW 12, but the reasoning is still the same. Hey, uh, we have some of the things we need to compete at Indy, but we don't have all the things. Well, I'm telling you, if you at least have a chassis, that's a heck of a starting point. And so Don Cusick, for example, with Stefan Wilson, I know that they have an intent to buy a chassis, whether it's new, whether it's used, I don't know. But coming out of Indy, I think we're going to be looking at at least two teams, two entrants, co-entrants, whatever it is, however that should be correctly phrased, are going to own the thing. That was a major hurdle um, to come and play Indy 500. Beyond that... think IndyCar is going to need to take a more proactive approach. There was, and again, this isn't meant to be critical, hypercritical or whatever else, but the conversations back in December were off. Oh, we're going to be fine. We're going to abundance of cars bumping for sure. Uh, not even an issue. And then things start becoming a little more problematic little more uh tight in terms of who's willing to do what the finding of crew again i know it's uh one of the the larger portions of this but it is real uh hey we need to make adjustments in a way that maybe weren't required prior to the pandemic prior to a variety of things Instead of looking at what worked and how things were fine with entry numbers uh, in recent years, for the most part, not perfect, of course, year two where we only had 33, but hey, we collectively need to adjust to this so it doesn't become an annual issue. Hi, start developing your crew needs early. Hello, Indy Lights teams. You might not be ready to compete in IndyCar. But I bet you've got some mechanics who, once the uh, the GMR Grand Prix is over, uh, they don't have a whole lot to do. And so, you know what? Why don't we actually start training some of them up 
to be part uh, our, our month of May IndyCar team um, in whatever key positions, whether it's changing tires, being a mechanic, doing both. Hey, can't just rely on the same old group of people uh, we used to call in January or February. Hey, Fred, you ready to come back? Fred may have retired. Fred may have lost his job. Uh, pandemic may have caused whichever problems and he and his wife and kids have moved somewhere else and are doing something else. All kinds of little things like this. Uh, Hey, I'd love to, I can't get that time off. I got a new job because things changed for me. Uh, whatever, whatever. Just speaking out loud here, whatever the normal conventions were, we're putting together enough people, enough cars, enough this and that. It should all come together pretty easily. All of those things failed this year. That's the crazy part, uh, Caleb. Every single thing failed. Every single expectation relied upon thing in the past. Eh, call call this person or this is the time to start doing things. Everything broke down this year. Uh, the things that will have come together to make this 33rd entry, and there will not be 34, to make this 33rd entry happen are extraordinary, (laughs) truly extraordinary. And even among those who decided to make this 33rd happen, there was a real touch-and-go couple of moments here where uh, there was a, a decision to not do it. And maybe we can talk about that at some other point in time, but the desperation is accurate. Things have gotten desperate. Uh, there's a lot of folks, IndyCar included, who have gone pretty darn far to make this happen. Good on all of them. I really do hope though, nobody is treating this like, oh, this is a fluke. Oh, we'll never see this happen again. Could absolutely happen again next year. We know that Air McLaren SP (coughs) will be expanding to three cars next year. That's great. So that puts another entry guaranteed on the entry list. I know that they're going to be running three this year, and they did last year. I'm just saying it's good to know there will be a full season entry there, so there will be three. And that Zach Brown has said they're not committing to it yet, but leaning towards a fourth. Great. So guaranteed of a quality full season third being there as well and also uh possibly a fourth so okay great if we can get a peretta if we can get a cusick to buy a car have their own cars whatever it might be however they make it happen great uh that to me gets us a little bit closer assuming nobody that's on the current entry list drops off or reduces uh we should be okay if we factor in some of the things I've mentioned about positive developments for next year, Tony Kanon, that fifth Ganassi car is really the only one that jumps out is like, okay, that's a little bit of a special thing since Jimmy Johnson's wanting to do the whole calendar. Will they go to five again next year? I don't know. I'd hope so. I hope Tony's always in a car, but that's the only one that jumps out as a, Hmm, that might be a, a subtraction. Could Penske go to four? I don't know who would they put in that fourth, right? Uh, normally what they'd done recently is call back Elio from sports cars. Makes total sense. Well, who do you call? Uh, I can't think of anybody that I know of that's going to be part of the Penske, uh, IMSA GTP program. That is like hardcore X IndyCar badass. So I don't know if there's a, a ready to go fourth driver for them to pull in. I'm not aware of them looking to expand to four full-time cars. So I don't know what's going to happen there. Um, could Andretti try and run a sixth again? Maybe. And I don't know, but interesting stuff for sure. Caleb, um, I can tell you this, there is no reason for the series to be in the situation in the same position next year. Because for those who want to drill in and fully grasp why it has become what it is, there are pretty straightforward answers of, okay, got to change how we do this. Aha, that we assumed was always going to be safe in whatever. Nope, that didn't happen. 
I'd say it's pretty easy to deconstruct how they got to where they are if they're willing to do that and then put things in place to make sure that those don't happen again. Um, we're going to be all right. Uh, James Bethay, how you doing, James? Hopefully you and your wife and uh, a beautiful son of yours are doing okay. So the engines used for the month of May, uh, same specification as the engines used at all other rounds of the championship. Uh, or there are little differences that are uh, done to those to get that extra few mile per hour, fuel economy, reliability. Awesome question. So as you will see, the majority of the field, as they begin practicing on Tuesday the 17th, will be using the motors that they just competed with at the good old Gummer Grand Prix. Uh, so same motors. Now, that's all dependent upon mileage and where they're at in mileaging out and being swapped out. So still normal, though, for those motors coming out of the, uh, the road course race to be used not uncommon for those to continue to be used through qualifying. Uh, there is a freebie when we're talking about the race, carb day in the race. And that is IndyCar allows teams, allows manufacturers to provide their full season teams with fresh engines for the 500. It's the Indy 500. You want to, you don't want to be going into that race with 300 miles left on your motor's uh, mileage. Uh, so they make an exception and say, hey, for the race, obviously you bolted in leading into coming out of qualifying, leading into carb day. You can bolt in a, a brand new fresh motor from Chevy or Honda, go race, um, and that's that. Uh, where things can be a little bit different is for the indie only entries they don't get uh, race weekend specials they get the motor they're supplied to start the month and that is the motor they're meant to use through the checkered flag at the indy 500 that specification should be you would think the same specification that the full-time teams would be getting uh, when they do their engine swaps coming out of qualifying. It is not uncommon for those race motors and also the, the month of May only motors to indeed have whichever developments and improvements that were you know, targeted for Indy. As you mentioned, fuel economy is always one. Reliability is always the underpinning of everything. Could it be a little bit more powerful while achieving great fuel economy well that's the the magic unicorn they're always chasing is there something they've done to improve heat rejection or who knows what but yes uh you will often see some small improvements that come through just need to to couch that a little bit james to close though that now in year what is it 11 10 11 of this 2.2 liter twin turbo v6 formula there ain't much left to find my brother <laughs> there there ain't much used to be in the first couple years two three four maybe even five years like hey yeah so-and-so's got a nice little bump with those uh those race motors you could see it you could hear it you could feel it whatever fuel economy told you yep they, they found something and uh they, they set that in motion for this uh, race spec and they ordered the parts and got them coming and verified and validated everything on the dyno and sent them off, and there you go. What you really don't see is, you know, the Chevy, Ilmore, and Honda Performance Development uh, engine gurus, like, on the dyno 24 hours before carb day, and, aha, we have found something changed. 20 motors or whatever it is and dispatch those uh for use no these things do have a little bit of a longer lead time and so not uncommon to see slight 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 
almost barely perceptible changes these days just because there's so little that's left to uncover in terms of performance not uncommon though i mean it would that's not unexpected you would have to expect that to be the case so barring something that's radically out of the norm james would say that what you see on fast friday and what you see uh, in qualifying assuming or if there is one engine supplier that is ahead of the other clearly uh i would not expect that to be reversed um once their indie spec motors show up i would say could that be a little bit of a reduced advantage possibly but if there's a trend of one being on their game in particular that shows up in qualifying you're gonna see that carry through to the race almost unchanged uh let's see jeremiah morell you doing jeremiah he says does indycar only have one session on or why does indy no i'm reading someone else's question sorry i'm not drunk but i'll use the excuse that i am 33 car field we think it is it says but it's two days to qualify with no dedicated sunday or monday race running qualifying weekend plans seem to change every year or two now and should we look for more consistency in the future i'd hope so i did ask the question of indycar yesterday in light of the modifications to sunday's schedule where we do not expect the LCQ to be held. Uh, I mean, again, the, it's not going to happen unless some crazy thing out of left field develops that nobody knows about. Um, so that takes two hours of running off the board on Sunday. Um, I asked, uh, hey, you know that there's not like a crazy amount of running on Sunday to begin with. So if you're taking two hours off, the table were you planning on opening that up you know in all skate as robin like to call it let everyone run you know i would assume except for those who are engaged in the the fast 12 or fast six and was told at present there's no plan to backfill the void uh created by a lack of lcq um so there's just that in terms of the general theme of your question jeremiah hey we got two full days but uh one day is going to be pretty busy and it sure looks like the other is not um i'd say this is just an adaptation to their circumstances we know that they're not going to have a reason to do bumping and so i think the whole fast 12 fast 6 was well we are going to lose any drama of who's going to make the show who's going to get in on the last row what can we do to add some spice? Well, now we got this uh, Fast 9, which has been split into two stages, Fast 12 and Fast 6. Um, if the entry numbers were consistent and we knew for sure we were going to have 34 or 35 every year, I would expect to see more consistency for sure. Um, with what they're dealing with at the moment, I get it. I totally get it. I hope this changes for next year. Unless, well, let's see how it goes. If the Fast 12 and Fast 6 is super dramatic and awesome, then I think folks will be saying, don't change it. If it's not great and we end up having a reason for bumping next year, you know, maybe that Fast 9 thing worked. And yeah, but definitely dependent. Uh, Mr. Morell, hello to your dear wife as well, Sarah. Uh, I think this is just them rolling with the punches. Uh, Champ Car Forever. Use the number four as well. Forever. There we go. Uh, why does IndyCar only have one session on Fridays? I think a morning and afternoon session would be beneficial to new teams, such as Hunko's Hollinger Racing, maybe to drivers uh, who've had an accident, can't continue until the next session. Also, the main draw. They're the main draw. They should run more. I completely agree with you the reasoning i've been given is this hey you guys have had these cars for a long time you know all about them you really don't need to run that much and so in order to save money save this save that 
uh, we're not going to let you run as much as you used to. Uh, the you know these cars you've had them for a long time plus we're trying to find ways to cut costs thing that's the really the two-pronged answer i'm not saying i agree with it i'm just saying that you ask why that's why um so what you get are some modified procedures where thursday for example tomorrow at barber uh the only people allowed to do anything at the track uh, on the IndyCar side, unless this has changed specifically for Barber, but this is how it's been everywhere else. Only the truck drivers are allowed to work, set up the tent, uh, get everything ready to race. Cars cannot come out of the transporters unless they are having the in-car cameras installed or if there's some tech upgrade from the series that needs to be applied to all cars. But basically the way they've set things up is this. Uh, we're going to try and trim your at-track time. So this doesn't just apply to the on-track part. Uh, what they've done to try and save some hotel nights and rental car days and you name it. I don't disagree with this part, but uh, it is still a little wonky for some teams is, hey, you don't need to bring everybody in on Thursday to set up because you're not going on track Friday morning. Uh, so they've limited the crew who can come in truckies only. Uh, and again, it's not like crew can't go to the track, but they can't work on the cars. Can't do anything. I mean, they're really not allowed to be there. Um, but, or so there's no reason for them to be there. So what are you going to have? You're going to have a whole bunch of crew members flying in crack of dawn super early Friday morning on the charter from Indianapolis and hitting the track early, yanking cars out, going through tech, doing whatever else they might need to do. And then admittedly stand around a little bit because we don't hit the track until three something in the afternoon, that uh, one and only session of the day. So saving money, uh, know the cars a lot those are the reasons why i i get it but if i'm a fan i don't get it if i've bought tickets as you rightly point out in the main draw isn't really rocking out until late friday i mean i'd have to be a real racing fan like a hardcore indie car fan and i don't know how many if we're talking Barber, for example, I don't think it'd be 100% hardcore fans who follow IndyCar every minute of every day. I think there'd probably be plenty who are just, you know, love it, enjoy it, you know, casual, cool. Hey, I love going to the event every year. It's a lot of fun. But, hey, uh, am I going to take Friday off work uh, and drive out and just wait until 3 o'clock or whatever it is, 3.15, for things to pop off for 45 minutes and then be done? Um, it's awesome to see that Barber has sold out for Sunday. Uh, there are definitely still tickets though available on Friday and Saturday. So yeah, not sure that sees the full picture in what we're seeing from how they're going about this stuff. Uh, Joe Nowotny says bigger off season change of fortune 2021. 2021 to 2022 for Lewis Hamilton or 1994 to 1995 for Alan Jr. and Penske at the Indy 500. Well, Joe, we're a handful of races into the F1 season. So while I don't think Mercedes is going to get back to a place of front running competitiveness to take the title, uh, there's still a lot of season left and a lot of improvements to be made. Uh, we have the full season change from 94 to 95 and the poop fest that took place with Penske, uh, not making the Indy 500. So in 95 after dominating the year before, so I would have to go with uh, little Al and the 95 switch. Yeah, that, um, not good. Uh, Mark Cardella has other examples, uh, since the chaparral of Indy cars suffering the type of porpoising, 
that F1 is experiencing this year? And what can F1 learn from IndyCar for uh, future ground effect designs? I don't think there's anything for them to learn, Mark. Uh, I think the formulas are different enough to where, yeah, looking to many, many decades old IndyCar tech when they had big, giant ground effect tunnels, uh, the solutions back then were very crude. Wrote about that in the, uh, the for this week's mailbag. Like the the solution was to put springs on the car that were so stiff that they were stronger than the aerodynamic forces, and so the anecdotal number is putting five thousand pound springs on those early nineteen eighties dampers for marches in particular uh, since they really got hard into the customer car game Uh, then lola came along but by then honestly things have been cut back quite a bit in terms of uh, underbody downforce but really and truly this was like putting if you've ever seen like the springs on a train (laughs) weighs a trillion pounds like you look at those and oh my gosh why don't you just put solid chunks of steel there because i don't know if there's any real springiness this was a case back before third springs were used to manage downforce and separate the uh the dampers uh from needing to manage that downforce and allow the cars to use softer springs more supple handling in the corners back then before that when it was just two shocks at the front two shocks at the back and springs uh put over them coil over springs the solution was let's make up a number we're making 4500 pounds of downforce well 5000 pound springs are greater than 4500 pounds therefore we should be able to defeat the massive amount of downforce and porpoising being created by the car sucking to the ground, uh, either sealing off at the back, closing, you know, choking off uh, the exiting air to kill downforce, or that seesaw effect of it choking off up front. Uh, however, the porpoising happened on ve- on whichever vehicles, uh, overpowering those forces with giant springs was the answer. The I don't even want to say there was a trade-off because it's not like we did this thing, but we got that thing and that thing was positive. Solved porpoising made the cars damn near grip free uh, at way too many tracks. And I'm not talking ovals because, you know, uh, I'm talking road and street courses, street courses in particular. um, When you have springs that are that stiff, your suspension is not working. It is essentially solid. And you turn the steering wheel and the car just wants to slide. And obviously some amazing drivers dealt with it and some, you know, awesome engineers and such came up with some workarounds that didn't make the cars totally undrivable, but effectively Mark, yeah, it was a crude solution that caused big deficits in other areas. Uh, we're going to get down to the last 10 or 15 minutes of the show here. And I think we're actually not too far away. Uh, Raymond Wong says, I forgot to ask this after long beach. Uh, one of their staples was the pro celebrity race that ran till 2016. Do you wish got brought back? And if given a chance, would you drive in the race? Oh my gosh. I love you, Raymond. I did like it. I mean, I, I really liked it for a long time because they had some fun and interesting air quote celebrities there. Rarely are we talking a listers, sometimes barely nudging into B listers, but it was kind of sort of fun. Uh, that tapered off in the last however many years where it seemed like, Hey, you know, this guy and he was the third runner up on the bachelor and you go really okay not the winner not the first runner-up not the second runner-up but the third runner-up hey this person was voted off the island two weeks into survivor you go really i haven't watched survivor in 20 years and this was one of the people knocked out right away we wouldn't really know 
too much of that. Uh, there was a soap opera star. I think that my wife uh, didn't know on a personal level, but certainly knew from watching whatever that soap opera was. And uh, yeah, uh, she was like, if you see him, you got to get an autograph from him for me or something like that. Joshua Morrow, I think was his name. And I'm like, yeah, sure. Hi, uh, devilishly good looking actor, man. My wife would like me to feel totally irrelevant and just be a, a, a mail carrier of a signed something from you, um, to warm her insides. Uh, sure. Like <laughs> what? Anyways, I didn't get to see Joshua Morrow, but she was really stoked to know that he was in the race and wanted updates. That might've been the most fun part, Raymond. Here I am covering the Long Beach Grand Prix, whatever year this was. And Hey, you know, IndyCar race and sports cars and serious and legendary race and all that kind of stuff. And like all she wanted to know was how her, her soap opera, uh, boyfriend, uh, was doing. And so anyways, yeah, funny. Um, I'd love to see it back, but with real people, uh, not like the, Oh, we're struggling. We're struggling. Hey, this is one of the roadies from Aerosmith. <laughs> okay, cool. I guess. Like, yeah, not that. Uh, Kurt Pose, how you doing? Kurt says, with the success of the vintage GTP sessions in Long Beach as a support series, what would you vote for next as a support race for either IndyCar or IMSA? You say, uh, note, DW12s are excluded from consideration. Uh, sending you my best, your lovely wife, and the furry rascals, all from Portland. Thank you, Kurt. Well, I'd love to have the vintage GTP cars back, just with a deeper assortment of cars and with a higher standard of driving talent behind those wheels. Of the things that make me sad in the world, one of them is always seeing amazing vintage race cars driven poorly and slowly because you never get both. Uh, you never get driven poorly and quickly. It's always poorly and slowly. So more uh, and with better drivers, and I think that would be great. I've heard this might already be solved, though. Uh, I've heard that the historic Masters Formula One uh, organization has been uh or is is lined up to be next year's vintage series so if that's the case that would be pretty awesome because the majority of those drivers uh are really good so uh yeah let's see three to go thomas smets uh joined in i think with the uh first question last week uh, you've sent in or maybe it was the first in a long time but thanks for joining in Say, hey, MP, thanks for answering my previous question. You're welcome. I had another one that I always wondered. If I see any type of American racist, uh, Thomas is sending this in from Europe, by the way, they always mention their sponsor or team at least once in an interview. Also, when an American race is in a different part of the world, they do that as well. Says, you never really see that in other series outside the U.S. What's the history behind it? Does every driver get trained in advance? since the European drivers do the same in IndyCar. I can't tell you exactly when it started, but yeah, this is certainly a deeply ingrained thing to the point to where not necessarily if it's a, well, if it's a video interview, it wouldn't happen. But if it's just a in-person interview, something where there's face-to-face -face contact or even over the phone could be for a written piece, uh, primarily for a written piece, but uh, I've also had requests to add something into say a podcast afterwards, if possible, you'll get drivers. Oh man, I totally forgot to thank so-and-so. Oh, the team's going to kill me if I don't give love to sponsor a, B and C. Uh, and I forgot to do that. So, even when you don't see it or hear it naturally or, or uh, happen, not organically, but manufactured, Thomas, uh, yeah, you still have drivers who are very conscious of it, very wary of it, and will often catch themselves if they fail to thank their sponsors and ask if they can 
add them in or if I could add that and hey you know that first part where I said this that and the other could you also just add in you know huge props to this person and that company yep not a problem you know that's uh them having to take care of business so I don't exactly know when it started just because I've never really paid attention to when it cropped up but it's so customary that I have been accustomed to it for decades upon decades upon decades the other maybe fun little thing to close on this here is there have been some situations mentioned this before in the podcast where sponsors incentivize uh, their drivers to mention them or their product or their brand Um, if you watch a Scott Dixon interview or a Simon Paginot interview wouldn't be uncommon if you were to see them either mention their watch mention time and need to look at their watch do something where they maybe scratch their face or you know straighten their hair position their reposition the glasses they might have on for a reason that maybe doesn't seem totally necessary but it presents an opportunity to flash that watch on screen um I know one auto manufacturer was straight up paying drivers, uh, those who are using their engines, to mention them. Hey, boy, this they sure are great and amazing and power and reliability, and the motors even smell good. Uh, that was a thing. So those are the ones that I noticed, Thomas. Uh, I, I go a little bit blind or deaf to the other ones just because, again, you hear them so often that just kind of tuned it out, but it's, I love looking for the ones where you go, okay, yeah, you sneaky bleepity bleep. There you go. You just got another thousand dollars or 500 bucks or whatever for saying the name, or you flashed this thing or did that thing. And you're going to get some, I don't know, you get a cookie or whatever from your sponsor. So yeah, fun stuff. Uh, two to go. Uh, Ryan reek Ricky. I'm not totally sure how to pronounce your last name, Ryan. So don't hesitate to tell me how to do a good or job next time. Uh, says well wishes to you and your wife and says i won't be going to road america this year due to a wedding conflict where do you have tickets though for our uh, iowa home race we've been to gateway a couple times it's a great time really nice folks we're thinking about attending mid ohio looks like the camping is pretty reasonable do you have any advice on the best way to take it in do you wander around like you recommended at road america are there grandstands we need to sit in hope we bump into you at newton yeah, I hope I can make it out to Iowa. Uh, just looking here. I hope so. I really, really do hope so because it's been too long since I've been to Iowa. So that'd be awesome, Ryan. Yeah, Mid-Ohio is just a quarter-scale Road America. I think Road America is just on a much larger plot, but Mid-Ohio is the same exact thing it is a traveling track there are some grandstands um i don't know you might enjoy looking at the view from some of them but it is truly bring yourself a little something you can tow along behind you a little um dolly or cart or whatever with your seats and your cooler and again check all that stuff with the track i have no idea what their cooler policy is and blah 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 but overarching thought is it is a mobile viewing facility for sure, without a doubt. Uh, if you can do camping, assuming that there's spots available, uh, I know that is something where folks have a lot of fun. Uh, but yeah, in general, 100% wandering, and I love the place. It is, it is all kinds of awesome. You can see some great stuff from outside the track. You can see just about everything from inside the track. And yeah, absolutely plan. Get yourself, uh, print out the schedule for the weekend, print out a track map as well, and try and plan ahead of time. So you can go and say, all right, Friday we're going to do this, Saturday we're going to do that, Sunday we're going to do the other, and get to see all of it. Last little return to the camping side. Even if you don't end up camping, uh, make a point to walk through where people are camping. Because whatever team or driver you're a fan of, you're going to see people with the same fandom and love and um they might offer you a beer or something to eat or whatever you hopefully you're going with friends family uh, whatever it might be but um your wife for sure but however many of y'all go 
just make sure that uh, whatever flag you're flying for whatever team, uh, manufacturer, etc., just keep an eye out because you're going to find some friends you didn't know you have who are already there. Uh, last thing here, Celis01 uh, from Reddit asks, what is your favorite Greg Moore moment? Greg's birthday was uh, recently held, and I know that I haven't mentioned the passing of Ted Prappas, who I wrote about. Uh, saving that a little bit for tomorrow night. Hopefully we're going to have a uh, mutual pal, Chris Wheeler and I, mutual pal, Jimmy Vassar on, uh, who knew Ted very well, very, very well competed against Ted many times for a long time. So hopefully, uh, saving that and we'll have Jimmy talk about Ted a little bit. Uh, I always come back to Greg and his dad. And I don't remember, um, you know, I think mechanic is his best buddy. Um, I don't recall if it was more than three people or if Greg's mom was there, but, uh, I just always go back to like 1992, I think it was 91 or 92 when we had separate West coast and East coast, uh, formula Ford 2000 series today. It's just called USF 2000 single championship, part of the road to Indy powered by Cooper tires. Uh, back when we had West and East coast championships, uh, Greg and the family, obviously being from British Columbia, uh, the West coast of Canada, come down and participate in those races and just remember enjoying them and the purity of them and what they're doing. Um, the shop that I worked for, uh, we participated in that West coast, uh, FF 2000 series and mentioned this before, but being a, a little team, family-run team, coming down, uh, it's not uncommon you get to a, a track where there might be some shops and you might need a little bit of help with something because you're not rolling in like one of the lowest categories of, of junior open-wheel racing with a massive tractor trailer and all that uh, like some would today. So this was, again, truly humble um, for them. And so just remember helping them out a bit um, and trying to welcome them in, even though they were rivals and Greg was better than any and everybody we had. Um, just remember that. Just love the vibe of this family with a son who was clearly talented and clearly capable of going on to much bigger things. They're just focused, focused on trying to do their best for Greg. Greg, despite being very young, um, no hints of immaturity or anything like that. We know that he certainly loved to party and play years later uh, when he got to IndyCar away from the track. But just seeing this kid in his raw element at you know er, some of the earliest stages, seeing how focused and fast he was. His dad, Rick, who uh, thankful I got to see, I think, last year or the year before and catch up with him for a good, good long while. Just a lot of love, a lot of pride, a lot of capability, and just the family side of that just always stuck with me of like, wow, that is so cool. Uh, I mean, every fast race car driver is the, the son or daughter of someone. And there's always family attached in some way. Um, sometimes through a family run team, rarely do you get to see this crazy talented child in a family run thing where not only is the kid super excelling and super amazing, but, it just feels warm and homey and, and, and loving and awesome. And so that's what, that's always been my favorite Greg moment. I mean, there were many others. Um, I don't think he and I saw each other much or, or, you know, we didn't know each other very well at all, but, um, saw him more in his rise up the, uh, the junior open wheel ladder competing against him with the teams I was working at. But, um, yeah, just go back to that moment. Just seemed like a beautifully, preserved moment in time in his life and career uh, that honestly it, it foreshadowed what was coming because although he was no longer driving for his dad's team um, or the family run team, I should say uh, boy, those two were as close as could be. And he had some really close dear friends dating back to those earliest days uh, that were always a part of his life, always a part of what he was doing. And, uh, he never, never changed. And that's the thing that also, uh, that was really awesome to see y'all. Thank you. 
This is our little Marshall Pruitt podcast brought to you by Cooper Tires, the Justice Brothers, and TorontoMotorsports.com. It's also powered by y'all and the questions you send in every week. Uh, I did not read all of them, uh, but almost every single one of you either said something really nice and beautiful uh, to start your questions or to close your questions, primarily about my wife, which is, you know, uh, that's all that I care about. And not I'm not saying you have to. I'm just saying for those of you who, the vast majority of you who sent in, send these things in every week with well wishes for myself and her and maybe even the cats, like what just stands out to me every time. Since I'm the one that communicates with you and you communicate back directly with me, is the fact that you indeed uh, are always offering wishes of well or uh, even better prayers for my wife in her three-plus-year fight now with breast cancer. Um, Those things really mean a lot to me, Uh, although I don't read all of them because I don't want to bore you uh, with my continual recitations uh, of those things out of fear that uh, it's just going to sound kind of rote and tired but thank you truly 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 um, look forward to speaking to y'all here after barber. Barber